Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side, a spinoff podcast for the Film Stage Show and the Film Stage website. I'm excited because we are getting back into the trivia all-star canon, Videology RIP in Brooklyn. I'm here with an amazing dude, Corey Everett. Say hello. Hey, good to be here. Good to have you. What's the ti- what's like the what's your ideal title for introduction, Corey, on this podcast? Um, former trivia teammate. <laughs> Since you conveniently left me out, I did. So, but uh, then I I did I add got a you. shout out. In the I intro. shouted you out because I felt really bad about and that. That counts. Um, but yes, me and Corey, I think we met right at Videology. I think you knew Jordan Raup, I believe, who yeah. is the man who me and him started the film stage many moons ago, and I think that's how we met at. Um, uh, videology and yeah, became, I feel like Jordan was a ringer for the trivia team, and then he, he was brought like a, me in as exact. a second degree ringer because it yeah, was hard he was to like get. a sub, and then it was like you. But then you came in, and then it was you never. And left. then I just never. You left never left. For about you just were there two forever, years, which was great. Yeah, and we loved you. No, and and we were good. And um, so we're here today, and this has been a long time coming. We've talked about doing this um for a long, long time because there's someone that you love. And that person is Winona Ryder. Before we deep dive into Winona, however, I want Corey to take a solid couple minutes and talk to us about this awesome game that you've created. That that I I've gotten a chance to kind of you've you've bounced ideas off of me, me and Jordan and Connor, voices you've heard on this podcast already, trivia friends, and just tell us about it and where can we find it and what's it all about. I love it. Uh, yeah, so it's called Cinephile. Um, it's a card game for movie nerds, uh, film geeks, cinephiles, and basically something that I uh, created earlier this year, um, partially in response to just like going through trivia withdrawal and like <laughs> since our team disbanded and just like not being able to flex that like nerd muscle anymore of just kind of um, I know the feeling doing that. And then I think I'm also. Um, Someone who, you know, goes on road trips or goes to the beach or killing time um, and has always played, you know, a few of like the standard kind of movie nerd games, whether it's, you know, Six Degrees, which is like a spin on the Kevin Bacon game or just like, you know, you say name two actors and then you try and connect them in Six Degrees or less or another game where you maybe name a movie star. You you say Tom Cruise and then you go around in a circle or back and forth trying to name as many Tom Cruise movies as you can. Um, There's other games, you know, movie actor, movie actor, things like that, that, that I feel like most totally sort of already play and even others things like me and when me and my wife are on the road she's less of a movie like you know fanatic or whatever as i am but we'll play like the 20 questions you can take the 20 questions game and make it a movie game you know so right so i basically looked around um and was i think i'd gotten another uh, game or two and i just wasn't finding the thing that i was looking for and so i kind of sat down and sketched out on a post-it note basically like I think I know exactly the game that I would want to play, and I think I know how to make it. So earlier this year, uh, we did a Kickstarter. Um, uh, we raised the money, and basically uh, we've been working on the game. Uh, my my buddy, uh, illustrator Steve Isaacs, super talented, um, has been uh, working on the illustrations. Um, and basically we've just been finishing the game, which will be out uh, next year. That's uh, awesome. Next summer. Um, 
So, so 2019, summer 2019-ish? Summer 2019. So if you were one of the Kickstarter backers, you will hopefully be getting it in the spring. And um, if not, you can go on cinephilegame.com and check it out and pre-order, and it should be out uh, next summer. So. Yeah, and the illustrations are, you know, obviously, like I said, I've gotten a chance to kind of take a peek at some stuff and, 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 and whatnot. And and it's so impressive. All Every element of it, the, obviously the game itself – um, but every component in terms of, you know, the way it's made and the illustrations that come with it and even like the picking, you know, of these actors who you can choose from is very eclectic, which I think was and, important to you. Yeah, and I think I basically forgot to set up what the game is. So it's, the basic deal is, um, so it's one deck, it's 150 cards and multiple ways to play. So the idea is like you can, um, the instructions have five different games in it, kind of leveling up from, you know, simple, anyone can play up through like, expert you know six degrees hardcore movie nerds um play this game and um the idea is basically like deck of cards is you know kind of beautifully uh designed and they're just kind of instigators for all these different movie games that some people maybe already play maybe some new games that you'll find out about and um yeah i just kind of wanted to make basically like the criterion collection of card games and was just wondering like why doesn't this exist yeah um so yeah, just from like the kind of design and the packaging through the um, selection of actors and movies that are on the cards, just trying to um, make something like specifically for film nerds and not um, like some of the games I had played that are kind of made for like a wide general audience. Sure. So the references, whether it's trivia questions or whatever it is, are kind of the most obvious same movies over and over. Your Titanics, your Silence of the Lambs, your, your Forrest Goodfellas, Gumps. Forrest Gump, yeah, whatever, exactly, yeah. because they want your mom to be able to play it. Right, and this no, game I kind of wanted to make for like, specifically for people that go to movie trivia. You're like, mom, people, go back in your room. Yeah, right. Get, let us play our game. Totally. And um, <laughs> people who listen to this podcast and people who read the 100%. film stage yeah. and, and these people. And I kind of know that... Um, we're out there, and so I thought, well, somebody should make that game, and so uh, and you made that's, it. That's what I did, yeah. Winona Ryder, yeah. So specifically, the range we're gonna kind of get to, but we're gonna really talk about, I think, her whole career is 2000 to 09 ish. There's a slew of uh, movies that she made that are that exist, and you can watch them. Some of them are good, a lot of them are uh, are not great. Yeah, and I think it's just an interesting case looking at the whole of her career to kind of see, you yeah. know, what happened uh, to it in the early 2000s when she kind of aged out of a certain type of part. And then there was some stuff in her personal life that obviously we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, and then kind of how she sort of came back from that. And it's funny because I was thinking about this before recording. I was thinking about how. So my thing with Winona, you're, you're like a super fan, right? You, you liked her, loved her for a long time. I've always liked her, been aware of her, what have you. My my I was trying to think about her in this context of star. And I do think and we always talk about is this person actually a movie star? We were talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and I think we were talking about it's almost a thing of there's a niche about her, so she kind of is a movie star, but you don't really go to see Jamie Lee Curtis movies. I think Winona is is a little bit above that where there was a period of time where you went to go see a Winona Ryder movie maybe late 80s kind of early to mid 90s and then obviously as time went on that kind of went away but in thinking about her as a movie star i think one thing that for me at least that we can kind of get into a little bit later is she feels a little hard to pin down like she's a little aware of what's going on and in that way a little elusive and that's 
I think a compliment as much as it can be a criticism. And uh, kind of as we go through her career, I'll kind of mention how I was thinking about that. But I think it does speak to her role choice, which was kind of myriad and varied. Yeah. So I did. Um, I, I definitely grew up and loved Winona Ryder and had a crush on her um, when I was in high school. Now that I'm a 36 going on 37 year old man, it's a little different, but I still definitely have a fondness. I watched Destination Wedding when it came out and just kind of seeing her and Keanu together and just seeing their chemistry playing off each other um, just kind of showed to me, even though I didn't think the movie itself was that great, just like I was completely entertained just seeing these two like full on movie stars just like radiate charm, even though the script was sort of like them at each other's throats and just showing how how much you can do with just like what a movie star brings to the equation. Just like strip away everything else, like the kind of conceit of Destination Wedding is pretty threadbare. Um, which is just uh, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder get seated next to each other on the plane going to some friend's wedding, and they end up kind of bickering throughout the entire weekend, seated at tables, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And it's kind of a, you know, dark... Uh, dark comedy, love story, what have you. Um, Yeah, meaner than I thought it was going to be. You know, which I thought was interesting because so rarely do you see Keanu Reeves mean, whereas I think Winona plays it pretty well. Yeah, and I think for me and for probably a lot of people who watched it or went to see it or VOD or whatever, um, the appeal was just like seeing these two movie stars he grew up with, you know, from the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, um, just get to play off each other and have fun and and how much that still – how much that still matters in movies and how how infrequently it feels like that gets to be the star of the show, uh, particularly now, you know, that everything's pushed to the margins of super big and super small. Um, yeah, so, just like movie stars being movie stars. Yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. yeah, and I, I, I do think Winona was a, a full-on movie star um, in the 90s, and I think she has a particular appeal, um, particular in her early career, is basically being like the coolest misfit. You know, she like right. grew up um, – uh, Winona Laura Horowitz um, had some Horowitz. Yeah. Had some interesting kind of academic parents ended up growing up on kind of like a hippie commune at one point um, and went to high school was kind of a tomboy and basically got picked on and um, kind of got the shit beaten out of her by like some kids who thought she was a boy and um, oh right that story. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier. The story where she got. She defended it? What was it? She defended See, somebody? Basically, um, uh, after she had gotten famous. So she'd gotten beat up in high school for kind of being a nerd and an outcast. And then after she'd gotten famous, um, she had uh, gotten approached by a couple of the kids who had beaten her up initially and said, hey, you know, do you remember me? We went to high school together. Um, and she was basically like, yeah, I do remember you. Uh, go fuck yourself. Um, and that was just kind of like – I feel like it's that kind of attitude – um, that really drew the people that loved Winona to Winona, com- combined with her early roles, you know, in Beetlejuice, um, in Lucas, in um... right, Lucas, her first role, nineteen eighty six, which I've never seen. I meant to watch before this podcast. Oh, it's great. I know. Yeah. I keep hearing it's great. And she's great. Corey Haim. Yes. Okay, I think yeah. it is. And um, she's kind of the. Um, platonic best friend that i believe Corey Haim like doesn't have so, a crush on so and this is what, he has a crush on another girl right yeah. so i think so this is a, 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 a one of her roles i feel like that she revisits so you have Lu, you have lucas you have square dance you have beetlejuice which is definitely you know a lot of people are in that movie she does stand out she's kind of doing her a little gothy rebel thing in that right um obviously classic movie 
You have 1969. Do you know anything about that movie? Yeah, I think that's her Kiefer Sutherland, um, kind of a period piece, coming of agey thing. Oh my god, not look at this. terribly yes. good, but I did see it in wow. high school when I was running down her entire filmography and kind of seeing everything she'd done. Oh my god, that's crazy. That isn't. That is definitely. That is definitely a B side. That's yeah. going to be part two of Winona after the game comes out. Yeah, definitely. And then obviously Heather's is huge, 1989. Not huge when it came out, right? F- not a hit. Uh, made almost ba- basically a million dollars, but became and continues to be cult movie a and a cult movie. Yeah, and like a TV show now. You know what I mean? Like has this pul- you know this cultural kind of resonance forever. I actually watched it for the first time. Uh, for this podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah, I watched it over the weekend, available still on Netflix if you're listening right after this uh, podcast uh, came out. And yeah, it's definitely funny watching it. I, I can. It's one of those things where I didn't see it when I was the age I probably should have been when to see it. Mm-hmm. And so I watched it with this, that sheen of kind of, I can understand how this like exploded people's minds either when it came out in 1989 or if you were the right age, a teenager or something like that, when you first saw it. Um, and it's much, much darker, but it was kind of the mean girls of its day, and totally. particularly in terms of the click and everything. And once again, Winona kind of positioning herself as the outsider in that. So, like, there's all the blonde popular girls, and she's the one that yeah. kind of doesn't fit in very much the Lindsay Lohan role who kind of gets absorbed into lot. this click. You're right. It is a lot like mean girls because it's even to the point where it's, she is an outsider. She's an outsider, but she also is like friends with the mean girl, right? So it's like she with the with the Heather's. So it's she's not like so she's not like uh, Dinky from Welcome Home, Roxy uh, Carmichael, which is like she, in that movie, which is nineteen ninety, I believe. She's straight up like the tomboy nobody's talking to her character heathers it's a bit more nuanced like she's playing both sides and then obviously christian slater comes into the school and, and basically is a sociopath and, and it's a i mean crazy yeah if you haven't seen it you should watch heathers for sure yeah. uh, particularly through a 2018 lens it's like shocking that this movie shocking. got made yeah. and, and and i knew about it even yeah and i still was like okay this movie got made 30 years ago. Yeah, it's a dark comedy, um, but in a in a world uh, where the things that it's proposing maybe weren't as commonplace as they are now, it's kind of shocking to right. see some of the subject matter treated um, the so way that glibly. it is. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. But and not time, you know, not even that's not even a criticism as much as it's just like Corey saying, you watch it now and you're like, whoa. Uh, and then Great Balls of Fire, it's her and Dennis Quaid. It's the Jerry Lee Lewis story. She, I believe, is the young cousin. Is that right? I think yeah, that, that he is, marries. Yeah. That he marries. Um, and then I mentioned Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. And then I guess this is kind of – so these movies, right? Heather's isn't really a hit. Great Balls of Fire, not really a hit. Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, not really a hit. But she's – there's momentum, right? There's this – she's doing her thing. She's dating Johnny Depp, I believe by this point or about to be because she's going to make Edward Scissorhands 
So yeah, I think she all... dated uh, about three years in the early '90s, and um, he famously got the Winona Forever tattoo. Later, Wino shortened Forever. to Wino Forever right. um, when they broke up. Uh, but they were the kind of tabloid young right. couple of the day, and e- everywhere they went, you know, followed by paparazzi and that kind of thing. And um, they were both the young, hot, up-and-coming um, stars. Basically, Johnny Depp was on right. Twenty One Jump Street, the TV show, and was kind of making his transition to movies. Um, and she was kind of building uh, her career as well. Yeah. So I mean, and then that, and the point being, the two of them almost together have their first real hit with Edward Scissorhands, which was a hit. I mean, you know, $56 million in 1990 is a lot of dollars. That's, you know, that's I, don't, I, I can look at what it is inflation, but let's just say it's a lot. And when you watch that movie, it does speak to that growing fan base in as much as that's a strange movie. And and uh, the fact that it was a hit is so endearing to me. I love Edward Scissorhands. I, I love it. I'll love it forever. Yeah, I love it's great. So much about that movie. I love her. I love. I love Johnny Depp in the movie. I love everything. So I think at that point, like they were added attractions, but it was almost that was Tim Burton was becoming a brand. So that was coming right off of uh, that's a great point of uh, the run of Pee Wee. Uh, you know. This, uh, a hit to Beetlejuice, you know, a hit uh, to Batman, which was just a monster, a monster, one of the biggest movies of all time, a complete, you know, culture uh, overtaking phenomenon. And then uh, Edward Scissorhands was the movie that came out right in between Batman and Batman Returns. So it was kind of Tim Burton's aesthetic was kind of becoming its own brand that audiences would just kind of show up for um, in addition to having these two stars in it. And I think um, having worked together on uh, Beetlejuice, where Winona plays, you know, the goth uh, Lydia Dietz, he got a big kick out of casting her as the kind of blonde cheerleader um, who falls in love uh, with Edward Scissorhands eventually. But I I think there was something kind of a little bit... um, playful in that casting and she was very much against type by basically playing more of one of the heathers than any of her previous kind of outcast uh roles and this kind of speaks to what i'm talking about i think as she continues to make these movies i don't know that you would call her a chameleon of a, as like, like a william defoe or something you know or they're like disappearing into characters because i think it's always winona on the screen but i do think as she continues to make movies, the diversity of roles becomes so apparent. So, like, you know, Beetlejuice, like you said, huge hit, kind of more of an ensemble piece. Like we were saying, a lot of people in it, Gina Davis, obviously Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Catherine O'Hara, all these people, Jeffrey Jones. And so um, you have that, and then you have Scissorhands, then you have Mermaids with Cher, which also does well, Night on Earth, the Jarmouche movie, which obviously a very indie movie. Yeah, I th- feel like Mermaids, um, which I also loved growing right. up and saw a ton of times, Christina Ricci, Cher, Winona, um, just one of those kind of they don't make this kind of movie anymore. And Hoskins, or, or, right? Hoskins? Yeah, and That's Bob right. Hoskins, yeah. um, post-Roger post Rabbit, I think. Just, just post-Roger Rabbit, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, just kind of one of those, like, a studio movie with a probably 20 to $30 million budget oh, that yeah. became a hit um, that is just kind of all about characters. And uh, it's funny, and it's sad, and it's real. And I feel like that was kind of the end of Winona um, being able to play teenage roles. So basically that was her transitioning. You know, after that you mentioned the Jarmusch movie, Night on Earth. That was kind of Winona figuring out in the 90s. She's like, okay, well, now I'm a movie star. I'm in my 20s. Um, what am I going to do? And kind of the answer to that was uh, pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, because then the next chunk, uh, and we were talking about this offline, you got Bram Stoker's Dracula. You got The Age of Innocence. 
And then that's the beginning of like Winona basically kind of in period dramas to some degree with Reality Bites, which I feel like in a lot of ways is her touchstone being right in the middle. So it's like Bram Stoker's Dracula, excuse me, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Age of Innocence, Reality Bites, The House of the Spirits, Little Women, and then How to Make an American Quilt. So one of these things is not like the other a little bit. Right. And that's that's Reality Bites, which is the Gen X movie directed by Ben Stiller, her, Ethan Hawke, Ben Stiller's in it. Janine Garofalo, Steve Zahn, kind of a great movie. I think it's still very good. It's great. I For me, it's the quintessential Winona Ryder performance. I think she's incredible in it. I think the movie totally holds up for whatever kind of Gen X tags it got at the time. And, right. and now that I think the 90s are kind of having a like nostalgic renaissance, you know, walk into any Urban Outfitters and, and it's <laughs> right. like you walked into a time machine. Um I feel like the movie should have a little bit of a resurgence, but for me, like if I think about Winona Ryder and distill what she did best down to one movie, it would be Reality Bites. Um, but the but that it it is almost the outlier among the movies she did in the '90s, where yeah. you do see her in a lot of period pieces. You see her working with a lot of um, just like great A-list directors. You know, Scorsese, Coppola. Um, the thing that we kind of skipped over was famously. Um, she was originally cast as uh, Al Pacino's daughter, I believe Mary Corleone, in Godfather That's 3 right. in 1990. Right. And then famously uh, had to drop out of the movie and then kind of at the last minute. So Sophia ended up filling in Sophia and eviscerated uh, right. in the reviews. Um, but then she, I believe, was the one that actually passed uh, Coppola the 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 idea for the him doing Dracula. Um, so she Winona um, did. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I th- believe that was the case. Not well, that, if we're not wrong, that, you tell us. Yeah, not that she um, passed him the Bram Stoker's book and said, "Hey, you should check hey, this out. It's brand about, new." Have you heard about Dracula? Um, but just like as a project that right, he that was like consider. available. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, and and another fun fact is the studio. Uh, Basically, Coppola wanted to cast Johnny Depp in that movie uh, in the Keanu role, and the studio would not have it because he was not bankable at that time. And so they insisted on Keanu, who then again kind of got eviscerated uh, over his accent in that movie, which I actually also – I love Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, I, I love it. I think it's my favorite version any of any of the Dracula totally tales. Agree. One of the best horror movies in the 90s and one of my just personal favorite horror movies. Uh, I, I love what he does in that. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I um I love that movie. And even even Keanu's performance is um is obviously kind of is almost it's famously bad, right? I mean in in, in terms of the way it's regarded in, you know, cinema whatever. But it works within the context of that film. I obviously think Johnny Depp would would have been uh, amazing, would have been more ripe for that moment and that role and what have you, playing Jonathan Harker. But um, as it stands now as a piece of art, uh, looking back nearly 30 years later, I think it's basically a masterpiece. I mean, Coppola is yeah. doing – is just doing – even just visually – if, if you even – if you care a little bit and you, you care to look into what went into so much of the production design, it, it's unbelievable. I, I agree totally. Um, and I think it's kind of regarded as, as being grouped in with Coppola's kind of like sellout period of like a Godfather sequel he swore he would never do and, you know, Jack and all these yeah, other things. Like but, mix, but to yeah. me, I, I really think its reputation deserves so much more than that because I I think it's so good. And, and particularly the um, 
that he basically took filmmaking techniques from back to silent film era and and bits and elements from Nosferatu and Bela Lugosi's totally. Dracula and all these other versions and kind of put them in a blender and came out with this version. And, and um, his son, Roman Coppola, did second unit on that. And they basically found all these cool, basically, some of which were basically like lost ways of doing special effects so you could do something like the shadow moves across the room or the hand taps him on the shoulder and he turns around he's you know all the way across the room in the doorway and all these little um basically just early cinema tricks that hold up entirely uh in just as the world was becoming i mean it it came out in between terminator 2 and jurassic park so i think right which is such an interesting thing which was the digital turning point of let's do everything with a computer and i think dracula showed like Here's what we can do. Even even in at times being stagey, kind of some of the early battle sure. scenes against the red backdrop, and um, doing something boldly stylistic, even if it wasn't quote unquote real. But that was sort of the uh, the spirit of the movie. I, I I I love it. You know, one one thing looking at these movies that I love is that there a lot of them. These early movies specifically, they're basically all really good i mean from lucas to the movies we're talking about right now not the b-side movies but these movies we're talking about reality bites age of innocence what have you they're basically all pretty good movies and they're a lot of them are based on uh famous books and a lot of them are with really good directors and it does speak to i think something that is not talked about with winona enough which is that she knew what she was doing she knew what she wanted to do to, to one degree or another and she definitely had an agenda that came from, you know, an intelligence, uh, an awareness of, of herself and her abilities and whatnot. Yeah. And I think this was back in the 90s when kind of the idea of selling out was still something that meant something to people, you know, whether it be in music with bands and Nirvana and things like that. It was that, you know, having integrity in your career and making movies that meant something to you and were important and not simply, you know, doing whatever paycheck roles you could get. And I think she was at, you know, a really um, good place in her career where she could kind of pick and choose what what was interesting to her. And a lot of those, which is interesting to look back now and reflect on, particularly in the 90s, ended up being costume uh, dramas or period pieces of things. Uh, you know, The Crucible, uh, Little Women, um, Dracula, obviously, um, and Age of Innocence. And basically looking at those movies, seeing they're all based on, you know, classic books or plays or um, also gave her a chance to work with directors like... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese and and Winona is someone who kind of grew up loving movies and, and right. is a movie nerd and, and you know uh, is is someone who is very schooled in in classic movies and um, so I think working with the best directors and things like that were important to her in ways that just simply having a star vehicle um, or a rom-com or something maybe just didn't appeal to her yeah something she probably avoided I suppose for as long as she could or while she could, while you're saying while she had the power to. Um, the Crucible is an interesting one because it really didn't hit. And that's always kind of a weird, even for like the other people in the movie, Daniel Day-Lewis, Joan mm-hmm. Allen. It came out, didn't make a lot of money, got middling reviews. And I do think in 1996, she makes that movie. And it does speak to kind of what would maybe come after where by that point, maybe that movie star Sheen isn't shining as bright for her in terms of her 
whatever, her fan base, people going to see her movies. And so I do think The Crucible is an interesting point to look at because after that you get Alien Resurrection. And now I know that may seem like an outlier, but that was actually one I, I do actually remember interviews at the time. I believe it came out on my birthday. Saw it in the theater on my birthday. On, on our birthday. Big. We have the same birthday. November 28th. November 28th. Bro. It came out on our birthday. Okay. Which I did not go see it. I was I was two years old. <laughs> I was in high school and went and saw the movie. Huge fan of the Alien franchise. Not as best, uh, but I interesting. Have I have seen it. I mean And Winona, you know, said in interviews at the time because she basically got asked a lot of like, Hey, you're someone who does good movies and it's very strange to us that you're doing this kind of alien four, which at the time seemed like a very tired franchise. Right. And she was basically like, I grew up like I had an alien poster over my bed, you know, when I was growing up, like Sigourney's a hero to me and also directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. Who's a good director. Yeah. Which does, it does hold weight with our theory. Like it wasn't like she was, you know, making a movie with, I don't know, you know, name your your studio hack, blah, blah, blah. This was a, you know, French guy, delicatessen, talented city of lost children. Yep. You know, not nobody. Yeah. Pre Amelie. And, um, and, uh, it, it, for whatever works and doesn't work about the movie, I still think there was no sense on her part that, oh, I'm selling out now. It was kind of like, this is a different gear for the type of movie I normally make, but it's one that I feel completely like secure in, in doing. And, um, after that, she had a part in Celebrity, as did a lot of other famous people, Leonardo DiCaprio, Woody Allen's. Yeah, and that's a movie. That, Woody Allen movie, <laughs> Celebrity, is such a weird movie because everybody's in it. Nobody remembers it. It was Leo's in it. He plays basically what would become the version of himself and was happening at that time. He basically plays a, the most famous the person, most famous in, the person in the world yeah. while he was the most famous person in the world. Yeah, I don't know if they filmed it before Titanic, I, I mean, but it came out. It, came it out was one of the movies that came out right after. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and we were talking, I was just having a converse, casual conversation with somebody, and we were talking about he was so big after Titanic that The Man in the Iron Mask was a hit. Completely. And he was in it, not even, you know, a solid supporting role, but not one of the leads, right? And then if you look at the marketing for the movie, yeah. Front of all the posters. That's how big of a star he was. Yeah, and I um, worked at the movie theater in high school oh when God. Titanic came out. And remember uh, it playing on four screens, hearing the Celine Dion song about 35 times a day. Ad infinitum. At the end, you know, because it played over the end credits, it would also play on the soundtrack in the lobby once an hour. And so you'd hear it four Gotta times it. cleaning up and then again. <laughs> And yeah, so I remember that era very well. I remember the Man in the Iron Mask coming out. I still to this day have never seen that movie, oh, but I've remember the Leo head showing up in force because he was in it. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a movie where no, every there's no act. Everybody's doing the accent that is their accent. There, were, the direction was just like, look, let's just <laughs> keep your accent. Don't worry about it. And so Leo is like Leo. His accent's just. If Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio was the king of whatever, right? That and he just Titanic Leo doing his thing. To this day, he's still the king of whatever. <laughs> he will always be the king yeah. of whatever. Yeah, but so um, you know, and then one, one one thing I wanted to mention though about Winona is that she got nominated two years in a row for an Oscar, which I don't think I fully appreciated. She got nominated ninety three, ninety four, ninety four, ninety five Oscars, but for movies in ninety three, ninety four. Age of Innocence and Little Women, mm-hmm. which is crazy to me. Yeah, like she was crushing it. Yeah, completely. Um, 
Yeah, and right in the middle, uh, Reality Bites, which was well, uh, a it. Sundance also, movie that it, was yeah. also um, like Oscar uh, noms, and also like she was quote unquote cool, right? Yeah, it wasn't like absolutely. it was both. It was both at the same time, and um, and I have a I do have a soft spot for how to make an American quilt, and I always have. And I got an answer, I got a bonus answer at trivia once on how to make an American quilt. It all comes full circle. And do you know what the question was? I still remember this because it was so weird. The question was, what was Jared Leto's first credited film role? And it was one of those things. And you know, I mean, me and you were both like this. Like, I had that in my, that nugget in my brain. I don't know how. And nobody knew it in the room because it was just obvious who would ever know such a dumb fact. And I just was like, in the middle of nowhere, like Rain Man. I was just like, Jared. Or I was like, how to make an American quilt. And Maggie, who we loved, who's the host, was just like, how did you know that? Like, she was like, did you cheat? And I was like, I swear to God. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. No, I did not cheat. Complete sidebar, but yes, rip videology. And the best the best part of movie trivia was not the answers that you knew. It was the stuff buried in your brain that you were like, I'm not sure why I think this is right. I just think it is. And when you uh, would get those, that was truly uh It was, it's vindicating and like also so I don't know. You're like, this is what my brain is. Like, you know, my brain's decided to like remember hold on this. to this like yeah jared yeah. leto's first role was how to make an american quilt great um a really quick side note before we move on is that uh, uh woody allen wanted to cast winona again in melinda and melinda oh. her and robert downey jr but they were both so unbankable at the time which i believe was 2005 They're probably uninsurable for downey jr yes that the studio said no way and so them were cast. do you remember what the roles are i'm curious because it's it's like it's it's Will Ferrell. I'm not sure if it was um, Roger Rada Mitchell, Mitchell. And, uh, and Will Ferrell or which roles it was. And then it was I, like Chitwajal Geofors in it as well. It's a, that's, a, that's, a weird, that's a weird Woody Allen movie. I mean, Celebrity's a weird one too. Kenneth Branagh's performance in Celebrity when he's literally trying to do Woody Allen is, yeah. and I love Kenneth Branagh, Yikes. truly hard to watch. Truly hard to watch. Yeah. I would watch a documentary about the decision he made to go that way where he goes fully, he's like, I am going to try to be Woody Allen as opposed to just, I don't know. Anyway. I mean, when the script is written that way, whatever. But anyway, so yeah. the, the, the very last movie Winona did in the 90s, which is kind of the bookend to begin her this is B-sides, this is, is, is really big. So um, is Girl Interrupted. So this was a movie that Winona, um, it was a passion project of hers. Uh, she had read the novel. And she uh, was a producer on it and was basically, it was her kind of baby to bring to the screen. Um Winona had kind of openly suffered with, you know, uh, bouts of depression and things. And so she really related to this uh, character in the novel that she was playing um, and did everything she could to get this movie to the screen. And then um, kind of uh, directed by James Mangold, co-starring Angelina Jolie and Brittany Murphy and a bunch of other uh, talented uh, uh, cast. And basically um, in in hindsight or at least in the kind of public perception at the time it it was the movie that was you know Winona's passion project that basically Angelina Jolie who was very unknown up and coming at the time walked away with so she Angelina ended up winning the Oscar for supporting actress and kind of kicking off her own like superstardom um, career and Winona very shortly after um, (laughs) basically her career career kind of stalled out yeah and it's it's fascinating to look at now particularly after we just went through the 90s and 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 what an amazing career she had had up to that point which is what as a fan of hers and as so many other people it was so disappointing to see um 
that it just kind of all uh, went away, basically. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where it was so many things at once, right? And 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 you know, in in, in prepping for the podcast, like you're talking about, Girl Interrupted, her passion project comes out. She is so good in the movie too, and this is what makes it even more interesting. She's so good in the movie. The the movie's pretty well regarded. Garners obviously a decent amount of attention. But then it becomes the Angie Jolie is here to stay movie, right? She wins the Oscar and it becomes this she's this weird engaging presence Angelina Jolie I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it was the the showier part essentially. Winona's right. the lead and Angelina Jolie is like the, you know, crazy supporting role who gets to come in and like crush a handful of moments 100%. and walk away with all your attention all the whereas Winona kind yeah. of has to carry the emotional the of backbone of the movie. And it's a cl- that's a classic lead performance thing obviously that that story has been told a myriad of times um throughout these types of 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 projects but still then you have that plus you have right lost souls and autumn in new york both lead roles for her which both are basically doa in the year 2000 in the year 2000 yeah so this is the beginning officially of our kind of b-sides yeah these are the beginning of the b-sides basically so lost souls got made in 98 it was the directorial debut of janusz kaminski Steven Spielberg, cinematographer, Cin- who yeah, is his main incredible. He's basically always incredible. I could point to not incredible moments, but the dude's a genius in terms of his ability to move light and whatnot, shape light. And um, so Lost Souls is a, it's basically a, you know, a devil movie, horror movie, thriller movie. Ben Chaplin and her are yep. the leads ostensibly. Made in 98, but what happened was... There were two other movies that were being made. End of Days. And coming out. End of Days. With Schwartz, Peter Hyams. And Stigmata, the Rupert Wainwright movie. Patricia Arquette. With with Gabriel Byrne and Patricia Arquette. So they both were set and done for 99. And if you remember, that's the Y2K time. That's the weird, everything's going to end in 2000. I remember being a kid and being like, what are we all talking about? It was weird to think that that was actually a thing people cared about yeah i went to college that year i remember were you like all jacked you guys were all just like freaked out about it or it was a big deal i remember like rules of attraction end of the world party like that movie in the book too like just a weird like cornerstone moment of of whatever but so these movies are coming out so stigmata end of days and lost souls and they all were kind of about the same thing a little bit it was like the devil's coming down it's his time now he's gonna shake shit up and it was just like the difference of these of these movies, and I've seen them all. Uh, Lost Souls was the one that got pushed, and it came out Friday the thirteenth, October thirteenth, two thousand, and really no one cared, and and it got pretty bad reviews. Yeah, panned. And I've seen it. It's really hokey, and it's the type of thing where Janusz directed it. And you never want to assume what people's intentions are. But it's it's made in such a way where there are visual moments that are unbelievable. But it it's wrapped in in the it, it, there's nothing around it. You know, you know, it's there are like amazing things visually, but like subpar performances, a weird, just not cohesive thing happening. 
and and it kind of all three of these movies are like this, but End of Days and Stigmata were basically hits. End of Days wasn't that big of a hit, but they 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 basically did okay for whatever studio they were made for. Lost Souls did not cost fifty million, did not make fifty million. Yeah, fell my, away. my impression is Stigmata was kind of a hit. End of Days was considered a disappointment for Arnold because and Lost of the Souls budget. was like completely exactly. Not good. Stigmata I, was a hit because it was like didn't cost a whole lot and it made a decent amount and lost and uh end of days cost like a hundred million because it was like arnie arnold yeah and that was the beginning of his it's over yeah it was the beginning of the end he's kind of walking and demanding too much money i mean this is a batman and robin it was post that right it's kind of he's becoming a little bit more of a punchline, and we're you know we're kind of getting tired of it and yeah that was one of the last ones um uh, I saw Lost Souls in the theater. God. It was not good. I have not seen you it since. You love Winona Ryder. Yeah, no, I was there. Um, and uh, it was not good. I don't remember much about it. I remember the ending. So but, can I tell you what happens sure, at the end? Sure, please do. Winona's part of this group of Catholic people who are they're convinced that the devil's doing what God did 2,000 years ago, and there's a, somebody, is, is the devil is embodied in some sort of man, and it's revealed to probably be Ben Chaplin. And Winona, in the process of trying to figure out if it is Ben Chaplin, falls in love with Ben Chaplin, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the movie, they're in a car, and it's about to be his 33rd birthday. Wink, wink. Do you get it? That's how old Jesus was, 33 years old. And they're like, and they're both convinced that, like, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, it might happen. It might not happen. I don't think you're the devil. They think they've beat it. And they're in a car, and it turns to 12 midnight, and it's his birthday. And and nothing happens. And they're like, we're good. It's all good. And then something happens, and the car clock starts to freak out, and number six 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 come up, and that's the end of the movie. It's a it's a bad ending, like an ending, like not bad, like what well, is bad, like not good, but bad, like evil, like he's the devil. That's how the movie ends. You kind of had me riveted, to be honest. I still think about <laughs> now that I'm ending. Curious. Isn't that weird? It like, stuck with you. Yeah, but it, I I didn't like it when. I was watching it, however old I was. It definitely wasn't in the movie theater. Three years old. I, in the womb. I wish I was that two. young. But um, that last moment does stick with me, though. It is true. Anyway, that's all. That's my main memory of Lost and Souls. And I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, correctly the souls are lost. Uh, yes, yes, the souls well, were lost. And I don't think Winona did any press for that movie. So whatever troubled kind of history it had yeah. getting out, I believe maybe she had kind of backed away from it and it, i think i think people knew it was being dumped and it wasn't like put in i'll tell you, you know, two thousand screens with the hopes of being a blockbuster i think it yeah. was kind of like let's just get this out quietly and get it over with uh, i'll tell you something the elvis mitchell new york times review which i did read before this podcast is particularly mean that dude's funny he when he hated a movie like it it, it really came across like he Pulls not a punch in that review. If if you have any curiosity, it's probably as entertaining as Lost Souls. Read that review. It is oof. Anyway, so she makes Lost Souls. She makes Autumn in New York. Same year, obviously, but as we said, Lost Souls was made before. I have a soft spot for Autumn in New York, directed by Joan Chen. Right. Okay. I do not. I, I like. But it. Go ahead. You don't like I, it. I believe I also saw this in the theater. Oh kind God, of a melodrama. Winona, Winona, Richard Gere. It's older Winona. Guy. It's a cancer movie. And it was a uh, yes. It was a. Uh, so she's, check this out. She's How about this? Cancer. How about this for a premise? Sure. Okay. You got a guy, in New York. It's a New York guy. He's rich. 
He's a womanizer. He's Richard Gere. Are you describing Pretty Woman? <laughs> I bet that's how they sold it. And he's doing his thing, man about town, and he falls in love with this quirky gal who has movie cancer. Yeah, and it's Winona Ryder. And they spend an autumn in New York City together, and he learns how to be a better man. Directed by Joan Chen, who I love, who is in Twin Peaks. Right, Josie Packard. And I, it's it's so derivative, obviously, right? Like, even me describing it, you're like, that sounds like I've seen that movie before. Me and Connor talked about the other version of that movie with Keanu Reeves, ironically, called Sweet November. Sweet November, Charlize. It came out around the same time. Also a movie cancer movie. And, um, yeah, I... I, I'll just simply say that it does have a certain touch to it that I love and remember, and I think Winona's a big part of that. I'm a big Richard Gere fan as well. So maybe it's just the stars simply in the movie that I ride for, but it's a movie when if, if it's ever on TNT, I'll, I'll watch 20 minutes of it, and, right. I'll, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll kind of ride for it. It wasn't, it wasn't really a huge bomb, but it you know, $37 million domestically, Box Office Mojo tells me, $65 million budget, $90 million worldwide. That definitely speaks to the time period where a movie like that could cost that much money, where it's just two people in a city, right? Sure. Where now that movie, Destination Wedding, for example, right. is an indie. I mean, it doesn't even get a release. It's basically VOD. I think my impression at the time was just like, I didn't know who Richard Gere was other than the Pretty Woman guy. He sure. had white hair. I was like... Why is he creeping on Winona? You know, her yeah. her with Johnny Who's Depp, I get. Her with Keanu, I get. Her with Ethan Hawke, I get. Who's this old dude? So for me, Julie Mecca, my lovely mother, was a Richard Gearhead for as long as I was alive. So for me, Gear was always like, uh, you know, I always thought of Richard Gear as this like, oh yeah, my mom loves Richard Gear. Like, oh Richard Gear, yeah sure. So he was always. I always liked him, and my mom always loved all of his early movies, like all of them, like Yanks, Blood Brothers. Obviously, Days Days of Heaven being, you know, everybody, a lot of people like that one. Right, yeah. I've gone back and kind of watched American Gigolo and Days of Heaven and things. And American Gigolo is one of my favorite movies. Right. But point at the being, time, I was kind of like, mm, I don't yeah. know what's going on We were on living here. two separate gear types of, type of lives. Two separate gears. We were in two separate gears. If I mean, if you want to go there. But, so Autumn in New York comes out, kind of, come see, come saw, right? Like, whatever. It comes out, doesn't really get well-reviewed critically, does, doesn't really do much at the box office. And then... And then, uh, and then, and then she steals some shit. Yeah, and then she steals some shit. In two thousand one, I can't remember exactly when it was. Yeah. It was before, or after September eleventh, but it was basically in the year two thousand one when Ona walked. It into feels her. like the type of thing that's before September eleventh. That's just that's <laughs> that, projection. Yeah, I, I actually, you're probably right but that I mean, it was the biggest deal in the world, which it would not have been after yeah, September. If it happens in October, I think sure. people are just like, yeah, uh, who okay, cares? What the fuck ever. So um, at the time, Winona basically, you know, only a couple of less than hit movies off of, you know, an amazing, incredible A-list career, two Oscar nominations, um, walks into a, I believe it's a Saks Fifth Avenue in Los Angeles, puts a several thousand dollars worth of stuff in her purse uh, and gets caught. And basically it becomes this gigantic, gigantic tabloid scandal and it she really needed. was i like i remember how big it was i yeah. was i was 12 right or or 13 you know like i remember being like oh man what no no right like i remember speaking of my mom i remember my mom being like i can't believe she you know like that yeah and it was just this huge insane um uh 
cultural flashpoint uh, of people, you know, wondering how this, you know, respected A-list ask- actress who must have been rich and such and such had done this thing. And I think there was some talk of, oh, well, she was on certain medication or this or that or whatever. And there was a court trial and there was a whole grassroots, literally uh, free Winona T-shirts, even though she was oh not God. in jail or anything. Um and basically, tell me you had a free Winona. Tell me you had uh, a free- my girlfriend at the time. I ordered uh, her a free Winona shirt, which was uh, Winona. I believe she had a cigarette, and there was like a giant bouffant hairdo that she never actually had. But that was the kind of whoever made the shirt had uh, had shout styled it this way. That, shout out to whoever that person. Yeah, was. and it was great. And so there was kind of a, um, a pushback against whatever the tabloid forces were at the time. Um, but it feels like now in retrospect, what you can see looking at the movies that came after this, um, that her career basically did not recover or did not recover for almost a decade. So the next movie to come out after this is Mr. Deeds, which is a big, I believe summer, but it was at least a big Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, summer release. Yeah. Uh, in 2002, but that was a movie she had filmed prior to this happening in 2001, so um, at the time, it was kind of like, oh, okay, like maybe things will be okay. It's a big studio movie. It's an Adam Sandler movie. It's a hit. And I think she had liked Adam Sandler movies and him, and that was kind of the reason it wasn't any kind of, I need to have a hit or anything like that. Um, Mr. Though Deans, I'm sure it was perceived that way by people. Yeah, you know, for, probably you know, at the time. Perhaps, um, perhaps incorrectly, yeah. And then you look at the kind of next six or seven years of movies, and it was generally um, indies, uh, Sundance movies, movies that uh, did not do terribly well, disappeared pretty quick. And, um, you know, kind of hearing the Woody Allen anecdote, he had tried to cast her in 2005 and was basically told, like, he couldn't. Yeah, don't do it. Um, and is, funny enough, they... Robert Downey Jr. and Winona are both in A Scanner Darkly, which we'll talk about quickly. Yeah, in yeah. a minute. And yeah. so you kind of see that it's not a matter of Winona sort of all of a sudden making, you know, really left uh, left field choices or anything else. It's kind of she basically got blackballed by Hollywood. I haven't followed her career as closely, but that makes sense when you look at these movies because, as we've said, she seems to have a very sharp or to have had a sharp, keen sense of – you know, not only look, not what's going to work, but what she wants to do and the passion behind it, and whether or not it works, the motivation seems to be clear. And then, obviously, to what you're saying, and um, I, I, I hear you on this. Post Mister Deeds, or I guess cause starting with Mister Deeds, it does feel like maybe things get a little thinner for her. Like people aren't calling as much. Yeah, and I think it's uh, maybe without the Woody Allen anecdote, you'd maybe think, oh, well, maybe she just she turned her attention to smaller movies for a while and didn't want right. the spotlight and this and that. But then but you it was kinda, literally like, no, yeah, we it was can't. literally like we can't cast her. Wow. So I think it was, you know, maybe the studios could justify it to themselves by saying, well, look at these three or four movies she had just done that you know did not perform well, and that's why we can't cast her. But you have to imagine there was definitely a bit of kind of now, holding this against her in the public perception of, well, she can't be our sweetheart uh, that we root for anymore um, because now she's got this stain on her record. Which now, is I don't want to get overly into this tangent, but look, I get it. She stole some stuff, but the fact that a female that a female actor, an actress in the early aughts could do that and that would literally derail her career for a decade. And then this other stuff that was we know has been going on, mostly male dominated, uh obviously has been revealed in this current moment. Um 
that 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 these people could continue their careers with nary a blip on the screen is just so hard to deal with. Yeah, it's totally fucked up. And I think it was maybe part of her also, you know, at the end of the 90s, being another decade older and then getting into well, right. what would have already been a sort of tough transition into, well, now what 100%. roles? You've, you've been the teenager, you've been the ingenue, um, and then the field thins as it is, and combine that with, you know, a couple movies that don't connect with audiences, and then this kind of public... Um, you know, tabloid thing that, yeah. that people will be the first thing they think of when they think of you. Um, and then it's basically like you kind of see why uh, there was a, a few quiet years there. And so basically right after Mr. Deeds, um, she has a supporting role in the Al Pacino uh, movie, Simone, which I Andrew believe, Nickel, baby. I have a little bit of love for it. It's not a particularly Good movie, but Andrew Nichol obviously is the guy who gave us Gattaca, uh, wrote and directed Gattaca, which I, I do love. I'll be traveling as well. <laughs> and is the movie that Ethan Hawke met Uma Thurman on. And um, and uh, look how gossipy I am, like saying that, like that's the reason. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, that's the reason I All love right, Daily uh, Mail. I know, cool I, it. I, know, I know. But so, so but I do love uh, Gattaca. But Nichol wrote and directed that, and then he wrote The Truman Show. Which I love, and then he uh, Justin Timberlake in time. Well, that came me later. Don't talk about his bad movies. No, but he had a good run. He was like, he was, he was, um, he was Gattaca. He was obviously wrote Truman Show. Simone, I think it's basically Al Pacino is a a, a accomplished movie director who is on a downslope, and can't get the movie he wanted gets made and he's kind of falling out of favor and he basically invents an actress through a computer program called Simone and she becomes this like S one M get it O N and um and so it's a satire and it doesn't really play particularly well. Well known is basically not unlike perhaps how she was feeling at the time a former famous actress who is trying to kind of get back in, not unlike Pacino. Pacino's kind of giving her the what for. That movie doesn't hit. It's a new line movie. Like you're saying, not a not a big studio movie, not necessarily an indie. It but It might have been filmed before. I'm not sure because it's, right. it's also summer 02. 02. So yeah, it, it was either she was kind of already in the process of making it or, or whatever. Um, but then, regardless, it kind of – it doesn't go – it doesn't go many places, and then like you're saying, there's literally four years where four she years. does not make a movie, it's which insane. is insane. It is insane. It's insane, and you don't really appreciate that appreciate that until you're looking at it, because then the next movie is the Think Film, or actually, I'm sorry, the uh, Warner's Independent. Oh my God, Warner's Independent. I like, forgot they even that was even a shingle. Yeah, that was the time. That was Paramount the time. Vantage. That was Vantage. That yeah. was uh, I remember Warner Independent is uh, Before Sunset. Because yeah. that was also Richard Linklater, yep. who then gave us Scanner Darkly, which is adapted from the Philip K. Dick book. Love the book. I also really, really like the movie. Uh, famously rotoscoped, right? It was basically the second rotoscope movie he made after Waking Life. And Winona's great in that movie. It's her and Keanu. 2006. Is, oh, six, thank you. Yep. It's her th- second co- collaboration with Keanu, right? Because it's Dracula, and then it's... Yeah, yeah, scanner, and yep. then it's destination, destination wedding, the famous trilogy yeah. of, of Keanu and <laughs> her, her own before of the trilogy. weirdly named movie yeah. star uh, people. No, um, I like Scanner Darkly. 
it, let's call we call it a B side because it didn't make a lot of money, made a few couple million bucks, few few, few million bucks. Yeah, and I but think it is good. It's interesting. So it made about five million dollars, right. but um, it Warner Independent, and I think the reason why that movie probably got made was basically it was Keanu coming very shortly after the Matrix trilogy. So I believe the sequels were oh three, and this was um yes oh six yes. So it was kind of that couple of years of like Warner Brothers put out the Matrix. He's our guy. Uh, There's a sci-fi thing happening. And Linklater was coming off before Sunset, which were basically some of the best and, reviews and of his Rock. career. Right. Oh, was that that was oh yeah, five? I yeah. think right. So it was it was. It was Right around there. So the point being, I think it was Sunset was like giant critical hit, best reviews of his career. School of Rock was like unexpected. He never had a hot with period. audiences, exactly. and then he, he never had a hot he yeah. pushed his chips in and said, "I want to make Scanner Darkly, and I want to kind of take the rotoscope style I did with Waking Life, which I believe was oh one, yes, a little further and a little more narrative and, and better." Like, I I personally think I personally think in every way, uh, Scanner Darkly is a is a bit better than waking life um okay school of rock was before yeah school of rock was oh three before sunsets oh four bad news bears which kind of came and went uh was oh five but he still was kind of he had a little bit of studio clout and he was probably honestly with the rotoscoping and making scanner darkly probably already in the works making that when he went off and did bad news bears because there's probably like that's because i believe he actually shot the movie on videotape or digital or whatever it was at the time and then the animators kind of went to work for right, Skinner it takes Darkly. Forever to so then, probably during that period where they were doing the work, he went and did Bad News Bears. And yeah, that. so basically, for anybody who doesn't know, rotoscoping is you film something traditionally to some degree, and then you animate over what has been filmed. So if you watch a Scanner Darkly or Waking Life, it's a very specific type of animation. And our buddy Jordan, who I started the film stage with, who's been on the pod. In college, he rotoscoped a little, like, semi-short, and he just, I remember him telling me he was just like, I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. Because it just is, you know, a minute can be days and days and weeks and weeks and what have you, and... um so yeah, it's super impressive. And I, I believe do th- yeah, Don I, Don Bluth and Ralph Bashke were both famous for kind of that was their animation. Style. Yeah, that was I I don't I don't know enough about animation to speak to it, but as I as I understand it, if you look at those Bluth movies, Five Goes West and what have you, um, they look different than your traditional Disney movie animated mm-hmm. movie because of they came from that world. Their aesthetic was different. There was a little bit of more of that involved. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, if you have any interest, it is fascinating, and it does make a Scanner Darkly, which I think would be a good movie without that roto animation, even more compelling. So Scanner Darkly is interesting because Keanu is kind of still um, recently of the Matrix trilogy, which made all the money in the world. Linklater's on his hot streak, so he has enough uh, cachet to kind of get this movie made. And then in supporting roles are Robert Downey Jr. and Winona Ryder, who just were recently not cast by Woody Allen in Melinda and Melinda. Um, who are filling out this. And this is kind of the first time Winona's really been seen in a couple years, and Robert Downey Jr. is still kind of coming back from his um, also yeah. basically blacklisted from Hollywood, right. but for maybe more understandable reasons, which was like, I know, which also, not to yeah. get back to this thing, it's like, you know, we all love Robert Downey Jr. now, but it's the type of thing where I'm just like, I can't believe that this guy is in a drug-addled, you know, like uh, Hayes walks into his neighbor's house and like makes a whole thing amongst a bunch of other things. I mean, Downey Jr. got a lot of chances and Winona 
just robbed from Saks Fifth Avenue. I don't want to belittle it, okay? I just, I, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, it's so strange. But anyway, I'll get off my high horse about it and just leave it at, I just, I just wish we gave a little bit more forgiveness to Winona a little bit earlier because that's like four prime years that are just gone because of uh, such a dumb thing, you know, yeah. and that just makes me sad. But anyway, we're going to move past that. Scanner Darkly, good movie, seek it out. The next year we have The Ten, super indie movie directed by David Wayne, who gave us Wet Hot American Summer, gave us Stella, gave us The State. Um, later role models. Later role models. Later... Uh, we came together, which I love, mm-hmm. love, 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 love. Huge Stella fan, huge David. Yeah, fan. I love, I love all those guys. I love yeah. Showalter, I love Mike Liam Black, I love David Wayne. Quick Mike Liam Black story, I'll tell. I worked with him on this live streaming show about cat videos, and I was one of like the stage managers. And <laughs> right before we were gonna go live this technical thing happened and everything shut down. It was like a power thing. And he was in front of cameras and there was a live audience. And I'm standing right off stage, right? Like, wow, this is happening. I'm on my comm headset listening to this like massacre of technical like stuff in the control room. But like, I can't do anything because I'm like in my show blacks, literally standing five feet away from Michael and black off stage. And he realizes what happens because like things shut down and he looks to me and I'm like, and I, I I'm like, what, what do you want me to do to like my bosses and you know, the directors upstairs? And they're like, just tell him he's got a riff for a couple minutes. And so I had to turn him like William Black. He's looking at me like, what the fuck just happened? And I'm like, uh, yeah, they're just saying, just, can you just riff to the honors for a couple minutes and we'll be back up? And he literally looked at me. He's like, what the fuck, man? And then he turned and just had to do like a three minute set. Like, to these like 100 people in this venue waiting for the stream to happen again and he was a pro about it he had did never it. played guitar before <laughs> and just nailed smoke on the water no it was amazing note. the guitar came out of nowhere it, it was the best riffing and i've ever like, seen Sma! and it was just unbelievable and he did it but no but truly he was a total pro about it um and I don't even know if I'm going to keep this story in the podcast because it's so brutal. But God. it was. I got it, though. Anyway, regardless, that's my Michael Ian Black story. The 10 is David Wayne and Winona. It's Loosely based, based or completely based. Well, yeah, on loosely. The, on whatever, the 10 commandments. Comedically based sure. on the 10 commandments. And um, Winona's. Um, I don't know what command. I guess it's lust. It's Her whole thing is she falls in love with a puppet. Right. And so super reverent comedy, if you know these guys at all, David Wayne and Michael and Black and Mike Shaw. It's like, so it's 10 vignettes starring different yeah, actors loosely and 10 shorts, one the, basically. Yeah. Um, and hers, I feel like, is one of the least talked about ones because, like, the ones that you'll see pop up every once in a while is like the as a goof bit where, like, somebody. A doctor pulls a prank and he puts someone in somebody's body and it's as a goof and then he goes to jail. Like there are some that show up once in a while. I feel like hers doesn't, even though she owns this. She basically plays this wife who falls in love with a puppet and then like the husband catches her and it's like this whole and it's played totally straight, right? So the beauty and of she her fully performance. Commits. And this is her, right? And this I think is what we're talking about is like she fully commits to this. And it's a Completely comedy performance, silly. but she's 
playing it as though it was any actor she's like fall in love with in this like unfaithful like you know tryst and uh and it's worth it i was rewatching uh bits of it uh ahead of this podcast and i was reminded um how kind of underrated that movie is i think it's ultimately disappointing but it is funny yeah, it has its bits. I remember yeah. I literally saw this at an advanced screening or maybe opening weekend when it came out. I think Ken Marino was there for a QA and uh, a at the Sunshine on Houston Street. Big also, fan of him, yeah. also, rest in peace. I think that theater's not there anymore. Oh, yeah, the Landmark, um, no. Yeah, yeah, Landmark. Um, and um, I remember I was just a huge, huge, huge Wet Hot American Summer fan, and this was the first David Wayne-directed movie he had done since then, and that was uh, six years later. And so I was so ready for this to be, like, my favorite movie. Uh, and I left and I was a little disappointed. Yeah. I, I think, like you said, it has some memorable bits to it. I do remember being surprised at Winona kind of being in something this silly. And I think that was just purely a product of like, she liked these guys. She liked their sensibilities. She wanted to be involved. And it was an ensemble movie with Paul Rudd and like a million other people in it. Um, and so her it, showing yeah. up for one of these segments, um, you can totally see how she was game for that. And even though she had done Mr. Deeds, which was kind of a Adam Sandler, you know, broadish comedy, um, you'd, she played more or less uh, the straight kind of love interest role. So you'd never seen her kind of do something this ridiculous before. No, I totally. And the shame of the 10 um, is that Think Film put it out. And basically at the moment that movie was coming out, Think Film, Think Film went away. So the, and like Wet Hot, it just totally tanked. and exactly like Wet yeah. Hot, it totally tanked. And then obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but David Wayne wouldn't get his a hit as a director until the next year when Role Models came out, which was his like more of a studio Paul Rudd, Sean William Scott. And movie. I think it was somebody else's script that he kind I think of directed or rewrote. Yeah. But or it's whatever, a good movie. I, yeah, I think Role Models it, it has is, is fun. Moments. Yeah, I think it's fun. Anyway. So, yeah, the 10 comes and goes. Nobody really sees it. There's two movies that come out not too long after that. Um, Sex and Death 101 is written and directed by Daniel Waters, who wrote Heathers and a lot of other movies in the 90s. Obviously, Heathers being one of the breakouts of Winona's career. 20 years prior. 20 years prior. Um, This movie is horrible. I don't really want to spend a lot of time on it because I don't like getting overly negative with movies on this because, like I said in previous podcasts, it takes a lot to make movies. I have a lot of respect for everybody involved in terms of, like, people who put up the lights and the sound and the whatever. But Sex and Death 101, Simon Baker's a star. It's basically like he's getting married to Julie Bowen, and he's a ladies' man, and he's at that moment where he's like, I want to marry her, but I don't know, blah, blah, blah. He, like, runs a fast food chain, and he – weirdly gets an email that's a list of 101 women and these are all the women he's supposed to sleep with in his life and his fiance's only number 29 and he's like well that doesn't make any sense because i'm gonna marry her and then of course that list puts his whole life in a spiral where he's like i need to know who these women are and I say, of course, only because the movie thinks that you should be saying, of course, like that's like, what a dilemma. And there is simultaneously this woman going around putting terrible men in comas. And her name is Death Nell. That's like her press name, her like tabloid name. And that is played. Does that name have a second meaning? Or? <laughs> Corey, I have to tell you, I think it does. And so it's Winona Ryder is mm. this character. Now I'll say this for Winona. It feels, and this is total conjecture. I have no nothing to back this up. And trust me, I looked. 
this feels 100% like a favor, right? Like, she's in it not for a lot. She's in basically, like, a couple of scenes, probably 15 minutes total. And it, I, once again, total guess, but it feels like Daniel Waters was like, Winona, how are you? Would you mind? Right. Or maybe being they were buds because around this time, maybe she, they're buds. She, they started talking about maybe they'll do a Heather sequel. Maybe which they're they buds. About on That's true. That's years. true. So, so it, maybe they were talking. I, but it, Simon Baker, uh, I, I got no problem with. Okay. Mentalist, sure. I'm a psych fan. If anybody knows, The Mentalist was a show on CBS that kind of stole its premise from Psych, which was a USA show. But doesn't matter. Did had a Twin Peaks episode? Is he in? Is Simon Baker in Twin Peaks? Was he in Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, he's the like, uh, like the media mogul guy. He's like the sexy other guy in that movie. Simon Baker, whatever, handsome guy. Don't have a problem with him. Him as a leading man in this movie is tough, though. I'll say that. I think it has more to do with the script, to be honest. Um, but just not great. It's one of those movies. It's kind of like it's in that vein of an Alfie, right? Where it's like. This guy's a cad. How will we turn him? And then obviously the question that's not asked is why do we care, right? That's what this movie is. So not a great one, but like I said, she's not in a whole lot of it. Comes and goes. Nobody sees it. Another indie. The Informers, Gregor Jordan, based on a um, Brett Easton Ellis collection of short stories, which I read because I went to college and had my Brett Easton Ellis phase where I read a lot of his stuff, and I still will listen to his podcast on occasion. Same. And um, I liked the short story collection. It's super dark, not surprisingly. The movie, though, famously kind of got shredded in the editing room. It was going to be this one thing. It became this other thing. Um, I believe uh, Nick Jarecki was supposed to direct it and was collaborating with Brett Easton Ellis, and then... It just uh, Gregor Jordan ended up directing it and went another way, and then it got recut. And there's like there's a whole section with vampires, which is I think I believe a part of the short stories that is just wholly cut from the movie. It's like that. It's just like if you were to watch it, I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. It's just an incredibly mean movie. And Winona plays a TV TV anchor who's having an affair with Billy Bob Thornton, who's a Hollywood producer, who's married to Kim Basinger, who's addicted to pills. And she's doing good work in it, but there's it's an ensemble piece. Um, obviously, it's a short story collection. Not unlike the Ten in that way. There's like a bunch of different stories going on. Not unlike a Scanner Darkly as well, where there are a lot of characters, um, which I suppose speaks to this period where she's kind of yeah she's popping up in things uh, since the Lost Souls Autumn in New York, where she's kind of co-headlining, or maybe you could say Mr. Deeds, even though she's kind of below Adam Sandler. She's the main romantic lead. She basically never leads a movie again. And basically, so this entire yeah. period, you know, whether it's indies or even when she starts to get back into studio movies, um, she's uh, confined to supporting performances. And I think to this day, I believe, there has not been a... There's a, one movie. This is the only other one I was going to talk about that's not even on Box Office Mojo as we're looking at it for reference. It's a movie called The Last Word that came out in 2008 starring her and Wes Bentley. And the premise of The Last Word, which I have watched and is on Amazon Prime, if you want to watch it, is that Wes Bentley, who is the primary lead, um, he's a writer who makes his money writing people's suicide notes for them. Mm. So he has, you could say, The Last Word. 
similar to uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character in Her, where he writes the basically, love letters. Yeah, basically. So that's his job, and Winona Ryder is the sister of one of the people that he wrote a suicide note for, and they meet at that person's funeral. Do they fall in love? And they fall in love. Okay. And can you imagine the dilemma of that? Okay. And that's what the movie's about. All right. And then uh, Destination Wedding, I guess, is her next, Yeah, her right, 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 right. title, right. which is which this is year. This year. So point being, you know, in between, which is we're getting away from the B-sides, she has a mini comeback. She has a powerful little cameo in Star Trek. Yeah, so so basically one more I actually haven't seen Private Lives of Pippa Lee. Yeah, seen I've seen it. Okay. I really like Private Another Lives. Ensemble. Yeah, yeah I, I really like Private Lives. That's a Blake Lively's the star. Uh, super underrated movie. Oh, also Keanu's in that. Uh, so that's the four fourth. movies together. So they were in four together. Wow, that's crazy. Keanu's actually really good in Pippa Lee. I'll be completely honest. I don't fully even remember Winona in that movie. It's, it is an ensemble piece, though Blake Lively is the uh, ostensible star. She is. Pippoli in that movie. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, she's the titular role. I believe Robin Wright is also Pippoli. Regardless, Winona's in it, Keanu's in it. Underrated movie, written and directed by Rebecca Miller, oh. who I ride for. And, and Daniel Day Lewis's wife, who Winona starred with in, in The Crucible. Yeah. Which was and written by her father. Yes. Rebecca Arthur. Miller's father, Arthur. So obviously that connection makes a lot of sense. Uh, Private Lives of Pippoli. Watch it. I, I, I really like it. It's a good movie. Not a lot of people saw it. Underrated. In the midst of these B-sides, Scanner Darkly, Pippa Lee, two solid, solid, solid indie uh, dramas uh, that, that, sh- that Winona's in and are worth checking out. And so, yeah. So for me, there's still a couple years after this and a couple movies after this where it feels like she's still kind of in supporting roles or maybe not totally found her way back. But uh, it's... But the movies are seen. Yeah, and what I kind of see is the beginning of her kind of comeback and people sort of accepting her again is um, basically she gets a cameo in Star Trek, uh, the J.J. Abrams 2009 movie as Spock's mom. Yeah. And and she's good, good. She has a good couple of scenes. Yeah. And then I think um, in 2010 she gets a role in Black Swan, uh, Darren Aronofsky's movie with Natalie Portman, where she kind of plays the um, aging ballet star uh, to Natalie Portman's kind of younger up-and-comer. And it's a really kind of um, uh, self-aware bit of casting in that kind of Natalie Portman, you know, as a person about a decade younger than Winona, right. sort of came up and, and also as an almost child actress and sort of getting the smart, um, offbeat, strong um, – kind of working with great directors uh roles that winona had gotten maybe a decade before and so i think the casting of her um is very intentional and kind of her kind of facing off in a few scenes with natalie portman um is very sort of winking in a uh you know self-aware uh metatextual way um and And also just a fucking great movie yeah see i me and you kind of just i i liked black swan and it, and I think its power, just as a piece of art and piece of uh, just a piece of movie making, it's hard to kind of deny, even if you're put off by it. Which I think I probably was more than you know most people who did see it. There's so much in it that's so good, including Winona's supporting performance, that it's it's impossible to just be like whatever about that movie, right? I I I I don't. 
there are other Darren Aronofsky movies I like more, but I totally understand and appreciate why Black Swan hit as hard as it did. And like we're saying, it speaks to how if you give Winona the opportunity to, to say yes to these movies, she probably will. Yeah, and a kind of A-list filmmaker um, yeah. giving her a shot and saying, yeah, I want you in this. And even though it, it and is— And crushing it, it, it is, I don't know. I, do you like Winona in this movie? Yeah, and even though—I mean, it really is just a couple scenes. Yeah. Um, but she makes a real impression. And it, and it also feels like because she had had, you know, almost a decade, basically, where she was either in really small indie movies or supporting parts or whatever it was, it felt like— because Black Swan, you know, was probably made almost $100 million, was an Oscar oh, yeah, winner, lot, yeah. um, all these things. Um, it felt like you hadn't seen Winona in a while. So she shows up in a couple scenes um, and makes a real impression. And uh, it, it, I think that was, for me, even though she has a couple movies after this that are a little bit forgettable, um, kind of leads the way to, um, you know, whatever kind of winona sans or whatever you want to call it totally. is sort of um, the public being like, oh, why were we mad at her again? Or why totally. the hell, why has she totally. not been in stuff? And I feel like it's that couple of years after that that she starts working a little more steadily again, which leads to uh, Stranger Things and kind right. of a, a full, you know, a full-throated acceptance of a Winona comeback and no kind of... Uh, you know, weirdness against that. And, and, uh, and before we just kind of finish with just stranger things as just like a final, this is where we are now thing. I will just simply say she is in uh, a movie called experimenter that came out in 2015. That is an indie movie that is basically Michael Amarita's kind of strange Stanley Milgram biopic where she plays Stanley Milgram's wife. Peter Sarsgaard plays Stanley Milgram uh, of the Milgram experiment and, and what have you. Kind of a great movie, I think. Underrated, pretty great movie. She's pretty great in it, and almost not unlike Private Lives, not unlike Scanner Darkly. Seek it out if if you like Winona, you'll find stuff in there. Uh, definitely seek it out. And and by the way, Black Swan worldwide, nearly three hundred and thirty million dollars. Unbelievable, Which is crazy, unbelievable. Yeah. It didn't even cost that much. Just a monster, that movie. And got him the chips to make Noah and say, I, I want even more. And then uh, and then got him the and, chips, chips yeah. to be like, I'm going to make Mother, which... Do you like Mother? Um, I admi- Give me the Mother tick. What's your Mother tick? I admire Mother. It's sure. a movie that I really want to love. I only saw it once in the theater. Um, it didn't hit me. But by the end, I, I begrudgingly... It's like you just have to admire swings that big and the fact that they can get financed and get the world, suppose, one of the world's biggest yeah. movie stars in them. I don't know that it entirely worked for me, but no. um, I still I have to give it its due. I, w- I just I, – I'm, I'm not a fan. Okay. But maybe – I don't know. I, you know, I, I try to keep an open mind with these things, but I saw in the theater as well, and I did not, uh, I did not walk away pleased. Yeah, it's not my favorite Aronofsky for sure. Regardless. Yeah. But so, yeah, Winona gets Stranger Things, the Netflix series. Yeah, which is a interesting kind of culmination because uh, I, it, when when it was first announced, basically, um, it's almost funny now to think about that the kids are all stars and the Duffer Brothers and the mythology um, and the whole show. When it was announced, it was kind of Winona doing Netflix show and felt like, oh, that's interesting. You know, that's weird. That's, you know, is it going to be any good? Do we know? She was kind of like the star top build thing in the show. Yeah, like the big announcement. Yeah. And then the show came out, was not really expected to do much. I think Netflix put it out in the summer, didn't put that much like advertising behind it. and just kind of became this gigantic, 
huge tsunami word of mouth hit that people just watched it. They loved it. They got obsessed with it. Um, and almost like, to the point where you sort of forget that Winona is on the show because the kids are such. Well, and I remember point. like, and even I remember that Kelly, my wife, she was gone for the weekend when that show came out, whenever that was. And I just saw it on my Netflix and I, had that exact thing that exact thing happened to me friday evening got off set and i just pressed play on the episode and by sunday afternoon i had watched season one of stranger things and i just remember i was like oh like that like that netflix days yeah that i rarely even now i i do rarely do that and that was a very specific moment and i don't even know that i loved it but obviously i i must have loved it a little because yeah, like you're saying, it all hit and it worked to whatever degree it worked. And I watched it all, and it came into work Monday. Like, hey, did you guys uh, see Stranger Things? I watched right. all Stranger Things. Like, and and other people I work with were like, yeah, I watched all of it too. You know, right? And it's like an interesting kind of you know Stephen King meets Steven Spielberg oh, yeah. homage thing, which is you know none of the movies that she was in, but I think just because it's kind of. Um, you know, set in the 80s and has such uh, so stylistically indebted to that time period. And she was such an icon coming up in that time period. There was a bit of, you know, self-awareness in the casting of, well, now she's the kind of mother of this new group of kids, um, whatever. The interesting thing about the show to me is like, I'm so glad to see her back again. But it's almost that she feels to me miscast on the show. Like, I think her being uh, hysterically upset uh grieving mother is like not her strength and it's like kind of like almost like the Duffer brothers wrote the part and then realized they could actually get Winona in it never had expected that and kind of slotted her into something that doesn't necessarily feel like it, it's an extension of her persona or her kind of strong-willed characters or I, I don't think she's bad in the part I just don't think it suits it, it suits her strengths which is why when you come away from the show you know, you're thinking of the kids more than you're thinking of her or you're thinking of Hopper or whatever, which is kind of a bummer to go, you've got fucking Winona Ryder here. Like, why don't you make her? Yeah, she can be, you know, a, a mom or Will's mom or whatever, but maybe she was also a misfit in school and has an edge to her and is not your conventional kind of suburban 80s mom, which is sort of the way the part seems to be written. So this would be my counter to that because we were talking about this before we recorded. I... I I I basically agree with what you're saying, but this brings me back to my elusive comment about her as a performer from earlier, which is that I really like her in the show, though I do feel that it does feel off to some degree where you're watching her make, watching her perform, and it and it feels different from what she's done before. But I think it does speak to her ability in as much as that's just not the Winona. This is the new Winona, right? You know what I mean? I, I think when you're talking about it, you're thinking about it as the Winona that you grew up with, that you love, that was this type of person, was a rebel, was a, a just you know a costume drama pro academy darling for a moment was a rebel in the real world was a you know what i mean a a momentary movie star girl interrupted what have you right that whole period now it's this whole whole different thing where because even in destination wedding there's a lot of 
theatrical things happening in it and i i do that i do think speak to kind of this new you know and even like the meme of her with her facial expressions at the whatever the emmys or the golden globes where people i think i I think we're laughing with winona right like she was just being funny and i think that was meant to be taken in light and whatever that's what that's what it is now right so i think as as joyce byers what she's doing is so different but i think speaks to her ability to adapt and you know to the material whatever it is and still give you something memorable yeah it's not that i can't accept her as kind of like older or a mom or whatever else right. it's just that like when the character kind of has sparks of anger like i really see winona light up performance wise whereas when she's just kind of in her hysterical like where's my son mode it seems right. like that's not her strength as an actress which and is fine but um it's it's just interesting to me to think like they kind of got this icon in a way and aren't writing something to her strengths which is fine like i mean the world's greatest actors robert de niro Pacino, whoever you want to say can't necessarily do everything and every part they get sure. isn't the iconic ideal part for them um and it's not that they can't do things that stretch their abilities or outside of what you would typically think of um just that they aren't always well suited to that part and that's for me that's her in stranger things yeah and i think season two though i th- though i think season two is kind of subpar from season one she was given a little bit more range uh, and a little bit more room to breathe in in that season. So I'm hoping, you know, as obviously they have made season three, right, and it's coming out, that that will continue that way. In terms of what's coming next, I don't know. Like, what do we want from Winona Ryder? What, do you, what, do you, what does Corey Everett want from Winona Ryder? There's nothing immediately that she has on the docket other than more Stranger Things. And I'm just wondering, Destination Wedding 2? Two weddings, two furious. What do you? What what, what is the ideal? Yeah. Do you had, want a Heather's too? Like, do you want that? Um, had we taped this a year ago, I would have probably suggested something like Destination Wedding that just allows her and Keanu to kind of show what they can do, you know, together and sure. play off of each other. Um, but right now, I guess having just gone through this, you think, well, I'd like her to be the lead in something. Again, totally. You know, I, so like a, a leading role, and I would love for her to work with just an A-list great director who recognizes, you know, in the way that kind of Tarantino did in the 90s of like, here is this great talent, you know, who has these specific abilities, who has been sitting on a shelf more or less, not being utilized properly. I know just how to give her, you know, the, the part that she would knock out of the park. So I would love to see her. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. The, the her leading a movie. I think yeah. is is genius because yeah. it's been a while and it didn't really occur to me until we started going over the last decade of that she's been consistently in supporting parts. So it would be interesting to see what she can do again. Um, maybe something with Ben Stiller again, kind of a Ooh, dramedy. A, I like that. We're in our forties now. We're yeah. our lives. Um, uh, somewhere between Sundance and lower end studio film. That would be interesting. Um, what about you? Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think you, you kind of took my answer. I I would love to see her in a leading performance. And I almost don't – whatever it would be, I think she would be great in it. So, yeah, to your point, 
I'm trying to think of what Ben Stiller's a, a, an interesting directorial choice. Obviously, thinking of Reality Bites because he could do so much in that capacity. But I almost think, or like a Noah Baumbach movie, right? That casts Ben Stiller and Winona Ryder yeah, and kind and, of captures the you know '40s malaise. And then right, and then speaking to just her comedy chops, right? Like, you know, though, like we said, she hasn't flexed them a whole bunch in a Mr. Deeds, in a The Ten. She has it, right? Even if she's playing it straight. So making her the lead of a comedy, you know, or even a, you know, dramedy, whatever, would be kind of great. And yeah. I think I would really like to see something like that. Yeah, I'm just glad that she's kind of seems to be like back and fully embraced again. Uh the Alamo Draft House recently did a uh, four movie Winona Ryder mystery marathon in Brooklyn where they showed four movies back to back, did not announce the lineup beforehand. I could not get a fucking ticket. You so couldn't get I a did ticket. not well, good. see this marathon. But that's good. Son. Because it was sold out, which, uh, you know, is a huge bummer, but also makes me happy to see that, like, uh, Winona heads are out there yeah. and, and um, enough time has passed and, and she's uh, kind of being embraced again. And how great is it, right, that, like, the nostalgia of what we're talking about, not, not necessarily these B-sides we're talking about, but the movies that formed her we're talking about. And then, you know, the people who love those movies are interested. And the people who love Stranger Things, who are, you know, I would presume younger to some degree, also at least know her in some capacity. That is like the perfect alchemy for a comeback. So for that alone, it's great that any you know, and that we're here and we're talking about her and that, you know, there's any sort of interest I think is great, especially like we talked about those mid 2000s were lost so she was a lost soul after making lost soul last thought put her with ethan hawk again who they're so good together in reality bites and ethan hawk has managed to have such an amazing career balancing indies and genre movies and studio movies and everything and first reformed this year which is so good and he's so good and i would love to see them back together again i mean ethan anything ethan hawk is one of my favorites of all time so yeah and even having her like getting behind the camera as well right like as we said she's a she is a movie fan, right? So anything like that, just something where she's in control to some degree or another, I would love to see. And I know you would too. So, Corey, thank you for being here. It was great talking to you. Cinephile, summer 2019. Cinephilegame.com. Cinephilegame.com. I love, I love the game. I am, I am legitimately excited to take it, play it, make other people mad at how smart I am at movies, and also embarrass myself, like we said before, with my st- – Dumb, random knowledge. So, um, Winona forever. Truly. Thanks for being here, Corey. All right.